Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Uh, well, good morning, Christ Community Church. Come on. This is, this is great. I know it's a little cold outside, but it's going to warm up this week. Good morning, Christ Community Church. There you go. Much gooder. Um, <clears throat> this is my second favorite time of year. My favorite time of year is October because we get football, we get a little bit of chill in the air, and we get scary movies everywhere, and I like it. This is my second favorite time of the year because it's March Madness, baby. And uh, Kentucky plays today. They play at 2.40. So from 2.40 to probably about 5.30, I will be unavailable. I don't expect them to win, but I will still be unavailable. So just keep that in mind. As Kayla said, yeah, we got a lot of things going on here. We got VBS coming up. We're doing it differently this year. Uh, we've got a group hopefully going to Uganda this time. Hopefully there won't be uh, snafus. There are so many, if you travel these days, almost every state country has a different now post-COVID kind of way to whether you get in or don't. And so be praying for that group. I know that Patrick and Eddie were really disappointed that mom and dad and others couldn't make it and Sean couldn't make it last time and hopefully they will make it this time. But for those of you not going to Uganda, as, as Kayla said, uh, I do a small group Bible study here at the church building. Um, we used to do it at 6.30 on Tuesday nights, but then a couple people who are regular attendees said they couldn't they had their work schedules changed. I said, okay, we'll switch it to Monday night. So now it's tomorrow night at 6.30. We're in the Gospel of John. Uh, we'll play the Rotten Tomatoes game, which is a lot of fun. And then we'll jump into the Gospel of John. You don't have to play the game. I don't know how many people that have told me, they said, can I come without playing the game? Yes, you don't have to play the game, all right? It's not a concentration camp. It's a Bible study. So you can just show up and... Um, We'll jump into that. Well, we live in an increasingly secular society. Uh, and what I mean by that is secular society means a non-Christian, non-religious society. I don't know how many of you saw this, but Stanford University last year put together a committee, and Stanford is considered one of the greatest universities in the country, if not the world. And they put together a committee for the elimination of harmful words and phrases. You want to hear some of the phrases and words that they say you should not say anymore? You guys. Because that's sexist. Here's another one. American. They say you should not call yourself an American because, they argue, the connotation is that when you say American, you are claiming to be the best. They say you should call yourself a U.S. citizen and not American. 
Well, I don't know about you guys, but to quote the existential poet Lee Greenwood, I'm proud to be an American, or at least I know I'm free. Now, this is nothing new, believe it or not. Back when I was in seminary, which is just graduate training for ministers, it's a 90-hour, three-year program, and I went there to Abilene, Texas, Abilene Christian University, back in uh, December of 1998, and I was living in this little one-bedroom apartment. I think the apartment building had more cockroaches than tenants, and I'm right down the street from school, and I'm living there, and on the first day of class, I had to sign a form, and the form said that while I was a student at Abilene Christian University's Graduate School of Theology, I would not smoke cigarettes, and I would not drink alcohol. I said, okay. And so I signed the form, and then a bunch of uh, buddies and I got together and decided there's a loophole. They didn't say anything about cigars, just cigarettes. And so a group of us, I won't out them while we're streaming online. Hi, Eric. Hi, Stephen. Hi, John. We would get together because my little cruddy apartment did have, it was on the second floor, and it had a uh, balcony. And so we would sit out on the balcony, and we would smoke our cigars, and we would talk like we were scholars, because we were graduate students. And one day, another buddy, who I won't mention, hi, Eric, um, brought in a copy of the New York Times. And there was an op-ed article in the New York Times that said, we in America need to stop using two words, sin and evil. We need to stop using the words sin and evil. Because... Not everyone is religious, and because what we call in the past good and evil are just what our community decides is best for us or detrimental to us. I sat there, we talked about it. And here's the problem with that. A community decides, a community, not God, a community decides what is right and wrong. Well, first of all, how do you define the community? How far does that go? Like if Otway decided to become cannibalistic tomorrow, not that it would urge anyone to go to Otway, because it's Otway. But do they get to decide that? 
What about, to be more serious, Nazi Germany? The Nazis were elected. So you can argue if Germany is a community and the Nazis were elected, then you can't look at Nazi Germany and say that's evil or that's sin. That's just the community's choice. So you can't look at the Holocaust and say that is evil. You just say it's the community's choice. Does that strike you as just idiotic? I'm just old enough. I'll turn 51 next month. And after paying a fortune for new bay windows, presents are appreciated, especially cash. Um, I'm just old enough to remember when I was growing up in this church talking to World War II veterans, talking to guys like Bill Sharp, who was a World War II veteran. Bill Sharp, before he went to be with the Lord, was faithful here for many years, and Bill actually rode in to some of the concentration camps in World War II. And he saw the burnt bodies, and he saw the mass graves. He saw all the people emaciated. Some people who had been brought in there 180 pounds who were now 60 pounds, barely alive. What else do you call that but sin or evil? Is there any other name? Hmm. There are a number of basic facts that can be gleaned just from common sense. And two of those basic facts, and two is going to become a repetition here, two of those basic facts are that God is real and evil exists. And the passage that was read to you a long passage, you have God coming down. Most scholars believe that's actually Jesus or two angels as a representative of God. But, and they go to see Abraham, and they're going to test Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I know you can read those passages, and it, and it says God's going to go see for himself what's going on at Sodom and Gomorrah, and that can raise questions. It's like, God does not know? No, God knew. God knew what was going on at Sodom and Gomorrah. But he sends his two representatives into the city to see how they'll be treated. How will God's people be treated there? What's he doing? He's doing two things. Again, two. One, He is teaching Abraham, just as he taught Moses, to intercede for God's people. This is what Abraham is doing. He says, well, okay, but it's a big city. 
I know it's a sinful city, but what if there are 50 there? You're just going to destroy it? And God says, no, I won't destroy it if there are 50 righteous people there. I hate when Bible translations use churchy words. By righteous, it means they are in right relationship with God. That's what it means. If there are 50 people there in right relationship with God, I will not destroy the city. What about 40? No, I won't destroy it for the sake of the 40. What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? Spoiler alert, he doesn't find 10. He finds Lot, and if you read forward, he's not much of a prince either. But whether it's God's angels or whether it's an angel in Jesus Christ or whatever is going on there, they go into the city, and the first response of the citizens is, hey, bring them out here. And Lot says, no, 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 Lot knew enough from Abraham, Lot wasn't a great guy, but Lot knew enough from Abraham that one of the things that shows you fear the Lord and you love the Lord is you're hospitable. You welcome strangers in and you take care of them. That'll come back up here in a little bit too. And so Lot takes them in and then the people start to bang on the door and say, bring them out here so that basically, my apologies to anyone who's young, we can rape them. And Lot says, I will not let that happen. And so God strikes the people blind, and the angels tell Lot, get out of here, because the clock is ticking. Don't even look back. God's going to take this place out. Now, a lot of people read that, and they raise this objection. Because this isn't my first rodeo. I've been doing this for a while now. And their first objection is, isn't God violent and mean? I hear this all the time because, despite the fact that many of you think that I just sit and watch Fox News all day, I try to flip around. I watch Bill Maher every week. No conservative and no Christian outspoken atheist. And Bill Maher says all the time about how violent God is, how he endorses slavery and and genocide and all this kind of stuff. None of that's true. Bill Maher and I actually went to the same school. I'm almost, almost tempted to go to a Cornell reunion just so I can run into Bill Maher and straighten him out, or try to. Never going to happen, but one can dream. Before we get into whether God is just or mean or violent, let me ask you this. How do you judge a good person. I can tell you, at least from experience, maybe you're different, maybe you're the exception, but generally speaking, we consider a person good if we like them. 
They make us laugh. They hang out with us. We have lunch together. We go to Super Bowl parties together. We share some common interests. We like them. That's our standard of what good is. But the problem is that's not what God's standard is. Like, I hate to tell you this. For those of you who have true faith, you're going to meet a lot of people you didn't like and a lot of grumpy people on, who are on earth in heaven. It's going to happen. As crusty as he can be, Dad will be there. It's my favorite line from C.S. Lewis. I've said it many times. C.S. Lewis was asked all the time, why are so many Christians so grumpy? And he would say the question is not whether there is a grumpy Christian. The question is how much grumpier they would be if they were not a Christian. And he's got a point. In the end, only God's standard counts. We don't have a say. You don't get to say who is a good person. You can say who you like, but you don't get to say who is good. You certainly don't get to say who is righteous. And we need to clear something up about this. Because too often, if you've grown up in church, you've gone from Sunday school and, and into the auditorium and you've heard the sermons and, and maybe you've read a Christian book here and there, and your general attitude is this. God the Father is old and mean. But then his son came along. And he's wearing sandals and he's doing hot yoga and drinking herbal tea, and he's like, Dad, chill out. And you don't know what to make of the Holy Spirit, but you think you've got that nail. God strikes down Sodom and Gomorrah, and then Jesus comes along with his hippie hair and goes, turn the other cheek, man. And God the Father just goes along with it because he loves his son. To put that in Kentucky vernacular, that's a bunch of bull. You want to know who talks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible? Jesus. Do you know who, according to Revelation 20, 11 through 15, is the final judge and casts people into hell? Jesus. It's all over the New Testament if you'll just read it. What does Jesus say? Many who call say to me, Lord, Lord. At the end of days, I will say, I never knew you. The Father and Son and the Spirit are not up in heaven debating politics and theology. They are all on the same page. Jesus is very clear that when he came here, he came here to do his Father's will. You don't get to decide who is a good person. Only God does that.
because only God is the judge. There is no jury. There is only the judge. And yet, despite the fact that Jesus is very clear on this, and a majority of Americans still claim to believe in God, the Barna Institute, and the Barna Institute is, is like the Gallup poll of Christianity, found that only 32% of Americans believe in hell. Only 32% of Americans believe in hell. Hmm. We don't take sin seriously. The church at large does not take sin as seriously as God does. We take the quote-unquote big sins seriously. Right? Especially if it involves sex. Oh, then we're all in. Because there's a reason why, like, when I was growing up, the National Enquirer was the best-selling newspaper in America. And today, TMZ's ratings are off the charts. Oh, give us sex scandals. We'll take that. Lying? Eh. Cheating on your taxes? Well. Passing by a fellow church member in need? Somebody else can do it. God takes sin very seriously. He sees it as rebellion against himself. And not just that. He rightly sees it as toxic to our own lives. Now, I understand you've gotten away with some sins that saved you some grief. Wives, sing a song in your head for a second. Husbands, let me talk to you. How many of you responded honestly when she asked, does this make me look fat? Oh, you lied like a rug. Now, women, okay, you can quit singing now. Quit doing that to us. That's not fair. But sin is sin. Certain sins have more worldly consequences than others do. That is for sure. Telling your, you know, son that he did great in basketball when he stinks is probably not going to have any consequences. Going out on a three-day bender with prostitutes probably will. Right? But it's all sin. And all sin counts. And the only antidote to the toxicity of sin, because we're all born with it, 
We've all got it. It's all within us. We've all, we were born with it. Anybody who's raised a child knows this. It's there. And the only antidote is true faith, repentance, and obedience. That's it. And the more you notice your sin, and the more you ask for forgiveness, and the more you strive to be obedient, the closer to God you will get. And the closer to God you get, the better your life will be. And I'm not talking about money or looks or relationships. I'm talking about a peace. To where a doctor can come in and tell you you have stage four pancreatic cancer and you can with all seriousness and a calmness in your soul go the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. It's easy to come to faith. It's a tough, true discipline to live by faith. That's different. Anybody can come up here and squirt a little and say, I believe in Jesus. Sorry for what I've done in my life. Let me get baptized. We baptize you. But sin floats out of the baptism, and you will still have to fight you will have to fight. That's one of the reasons why all Christians need to be in a church community. Look, I get it. Uh, when I was doing leadership studies, one of the things they said is that it takes most people about three months to develop a habit. Well, we went through COVID, where the government locked everything down, they claimed they didn't, but they did. They claimed we didn't shut down the churches. We're just saying you can't have more than 10 people in that space. What am I supposed to do, have a lottery? And so people got into the habit of either not going to church or watching online or watching a few minutes online or whatever and they got into that habit. Now it's time to develop another habit. You all need to commit, every, everyone. And I'm not trying to shame people watching via streaming, though if that's the consequence, so be it. You need to commit to go to church for three months, every week, to get back into that habit. Because you need a community to help keep you accountable and by accountability, I don't just mean that in the negative. I'm not saying that you need a bunch of people pointing their finger in your face. But you do need one of the things that is. See, we look at sins of commission. Sins of commission mean I did something really wrong. I actively did something wrong. I cheated on my wife. I watched porn. I, I, I lied. I did this, whatever it is, but there's also what's called the sin of omission. That means not doing what you're supposed to do. God forbid if I'm driving down the freeway 
and I see one of you, and you're on the side of the road with a flat tire or whatever, if I don't pull over and try to help, shame on me. I'm not saying you have to do that for everyone, but for your church family, yeah, you're supposed to. We need to recognize that sin is toxic. God takes it seriously, and God is right to judge it. God is right to judge it. God's justice is always perfect. Ours is imperfect. I was a defense attorney for five years. I was a prosecutor for a year, and I was a defense attorney for five years. Don't believe in the grace of God, I will still go to heaven, despite that. I have seen the imperfections of the justice system that we have. But God's justice is perfect. He knows all. He sees all. It's always just. Now, here's something you need to know. Another churchy word that I wish we would quit using. Repentance. I believe in the concept, I just don't like the word, because nobody knows what it means. Let me tell you what it means. Okay, now if you've never been here before, this is not a shaming tactic, this is a true question. I, I watch movies, I watch a lot of movies, so how many of you saw um, the movie, and I just brain blipped, what's it called, with Sandra Bullock about the football player, what is it called? The Blind Side, thank you, just blanked on it. How many of you have seen The Blind Side? All right, most of you have seen it, okay. If you haven't, you should see it. It's based on a true story. Largely about Michael O'Hare, he, he was a um, really big guy. They called him Big Mike. And his mother, unfortunately, raised by a single mother, and unfortunately his single mother fell into addiction. And, big, and they were evicted from their apartment, and Big Mike was left homeless. And so one night, in a cold fall night, winter night, he's walking down the street in 30-degree weather. It's raining, and he has shorts and a short sleeve on, and he's carrying everything he owns in a grocery bag. And a family pulls around. They see him, Christian family. The mother gets out of the car. And she says, what's going on? He says, I'm going to the gym. says, okay. And she goes back in the car. Long story short, that family ended up adopting him. He got a full scholarship to play at Ole Miss. Not the right SEC school, but okay. 
That's where he should have played for. But anyway, he wasn't sanctified then. Played at Ole Miss, all SEC, all American. Goes to the NFL, spends seven years in the NFL. For a lineman, that's a long time in the NFL. Now he's a motivational speaker. He's married, he's got four kids. He said two words changed his life. Two words. He said he was going to the gym. The mother got back in the car with his, their little boy, and they started driving home. And she looked at her husband and she said, turn around. Turn around. And they said, you're coming home with us. Do you know what repentance means? Turn around. It's turning from a love of self and selfishness to God. That's what repentance means. A doctor, a clinical psychologist that I listen to every once in a while says, in our culture, all roads lead to narcissism. And what he means by that, if you don't know what narcissism is, it is an absolute worship of self. I'm the only one that matters. And if you don't see narcissism everywhere, you've obviously not left your house and been in a parking lot lately. Narcissism is everywhere. All roads lead there away from God. If you don't worship God, you'll worship yourself. And the problem with that is, other than the eternal consequences, the problem with that is, as the great Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs wrote, that means you're not just following yourself, you're following Satan. You are now in line with Satan. What was Satan's sin? His love of self. What the church worldwide needs to hear loud and clear, if revival is going to come, if we are going to become spiritually healthy, if we are going to become the people God wants us to be, is we're going to have to know this. God is real, hell is eternal, and we need to turn around. To love the things that God loves and to hate the things that God hates. Or there is no hope. What I hope you do, even before you turn on March Madness, which if you're sanctified, you'll be rooting for Kentucky over Kansas State, is to identify your sins, pray, turn and recognize that that turnaround 
means you're going to have to fight like you know what. Because Satan's not going to give up. But God is faithful. And we can do it. We'll never be sinless. But we can get closer and closer to God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, despite our faults, my faults, everyone's faults, the fact that you give us so much grace, you love us, but you've made it very clear that judgment will come and you are a just God and your justice will be right. Let us not ignore it. In a healthy way, may we fear you and seek to follow you. May we turn from ourselves and turn to you each and every day and fight to keep sin at bay and your spirit close. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ Community Church, God bless you. God goes with you. I hope you have a great week. And if at 5 o'clock Kentucky loses, if you hear a great weeping and, and you know, that, that, that's just me. All right. See you next time, Lord willing. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.